And then there were three. All this and more on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Sega fully commits to retro. Waskoi Wabbit located. Doom, doom. These stories and more on This Week in Retro. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello guys, not one but two faces staring back at me today because we are officially, as of today, a um, a three-person podcast because Yay. Dave has joined us. Welcome aboard, Dave. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I really enjoyed the times I've been on before, so now I'm, uh, it's official. I'm, he- I'm here forever, forever yeah. and it's uh, now my podcast. It's now your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Welcome to my podcast. This week Excellent. in Dave. Yeah. Well, um, let's have a quick catch up on our news from this week then. Uh, I'll kick us off with some exciting news, at least for me anyway. Uh, as of the 6th of July, uh, Lily and I, my partner, are popping on down to the registry office and we're getting married. Yay. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations, Bill. So, That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Just uh, just the two of us, two witnesses, no fancy dress, no fancy party. Just going to go and um, get the deed done. And, uh, is, is the cat going? Down. The cat's not going. No, poor Gizmo. And speaking of cats, we did see a cat in the background there with Dave. That's Johnny, who will probably appear again. Um, Johnny no, will be on off. My cat Gizmo. Um, I think she steps on a wasp or a thorn or something. She's a bit feeling a bit sorry for herself on the chair today. Uh, and and regular viewers may notice it looks like I'm sitting on a chair about ten foot tall because I'm I'm actually um, set up from home so I can do the podcast from home. Got a new mic here. Got a green screen behind me. Gonna get a better camera because it's a, not the greatest quality, but um, hopefully fine because this is primarily an audio show. So hopefully fine for that, and um, maybe Gizmo will make an appearance in future shows. I don't know. Anyway, Chris, update us on your week in retro. Well, I've uh, actually been getting to know the C sixty four because, as we said last week, I, I won one um, for the pricey sum of $20 worth of raffle tickets. So I was very pleased with that. It's no secret that I haven't really spent much time with the C64 at all. So off another friend for another $20, so the same price as I paid for the C64 essentially, I've got one of these, um, was it tape carts with an Arduino board in it? So there's a heap of games loaded on um, com- on um, SD card. Um, and so it, it only works with the um, single load, doesn't work with multi-load games, but you just load the games off of, uh, of disk image, essentially. They load lightning quick. So now I've got a massive library of games on the C64 to entertain myself with. So, yeah, it's been so quite does that cool. does that include um, some kind of fast loader built in as well for if yeah. it's emulating a disk drive? Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it just brings up a menu, you choose your game, and then it fires into the game. Yeah, it's been been good. So reliving the very few games that I actually played at friends' houses on the C64 first and foremost, and then I'll, I'll go on to sort of compare games against the ones I knew on the Spectrum um, and see if they actually beat my childhood memories of Spectrum ownership. So, yeah. The, what about you, Dave? The library on the C64 is enormous. Hmm. <clears throat> so many games to play on it. There's just a, thousands and thousands of things you've never heard of. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, I've I've received this and I built it, which is the the MT thirty two Pi that I mentioned last time. Oh yeah, neat little thing, quite tidy. Nice. It's really really well three D printed. So that came in, little bit of soldering, easy to assemble, and that was it. Uh, so that's up and running. I now have that, which will be I think the 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 answer to all of my MIDI uh, things on the PCs. I've also been watching um, a channel Gears of Games. I've been watching him for a while. He usually does our uh, Atari ST and Spectrum reviews, but he also does a really good Let's Play series. Um, I've watched him play through Dungeon Master. I've watched him play through Dungeon Master Two, and he's now just finishing Lands of Lore. Uh, and it's been a it's been back since September. He's been playing it, so it's been eight months, and it's really changed my opinion of the game. With these Let's Plays, do you think there's a threshold where? Um... You get to a particular age where you where you go, do you know what? It's too much effort to play the game. I just want to watch someone else play the game. Or do you think that applies to all ages of, of gamer? Uh, I, 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 I find myself watching a Let's Play after I've got to a point where I'm fed up with the game. <laughs> and this happened with Lands of Lore. Uh, it starts out great. Uh, you've got Patrick Stewart doing the voice acting. It's a lovely setting. There's great world be- uh, building. 
Um, it, it's a it's a dungeon crawler, but it's um, it's one where there's a, there's an outside as well as the dungeons, and there's it's a great setting. And by about the first ten episodes, I think most of the game's gone. Yeah, he's st- he's going to finish. He's now at episode fifty five or fifty six, and uh, he's going to finish on fifty six or fifty seven. So he's nearly done. But it ran out of steam twenty or thirty episodes ago. So <laughs> I I'm able to watch him on YouTube go through the slog, and he trims the episodes down a bit so they're more bearable to watch. And he'll have to go re- go back and do something. So he'll cut that out. So it's much easier to watch this let's play than it is. The gate's completely changed my opinion of the game. I thought this game was great and the truth is they they got about halfway through development and ran out of ran out of uh, money or time and rushed it through. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think your point's true, Neil. I, I think Lands of Lore is one to play for two or three hours and then watch a let's play. Wow. Gears of Gears of Games. That's the channel you mentioned, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He, the the true MVP, the real hero to show us through to the end of the game without all the pain. Very nice. Very nice. Right, should we get into this week's stories then? Let's do it. Sure. I sound too yeah. enthusiastic, guys. <laughs> Let's, go. <laughs> Let's go. Do we have to? <laughs> so my first story this week comes from Sega, one of the daddies of retro gaming, and uh, they've released their latest financial report. Thank you for submitting this to our subreddit. Uh, listener Starcade2084, a regular contributor to the show. Thank you. Now, um... Bear with me. I know financial reports don't sound too exciting, but in it, they lay out their three to five year strategy. And uh, it specifically says that they're planning on actively leveraging past IPs in the form of remakes, remasters, reboots, and all of that good stuff. Sega expects to release 13 new games in this financial year, so 22 to 23. And um, there'll be a good chance of some classic IPs in those releases, I would hope. I would hope. Now, I like nothing more than taking a deep dive into a financial report. And if you do too, uh, I've got the link here for Duncan to put in the show notes. So you might like to have a read through it. And some of the information that I can glean from reading this report is, well, aside from the games, Sega loves stock photos and marketing slogans. Wow. Some of the slogans that are in here include creation is life and be a game changer. You'd think a company the size of Sega, you know, Come on, any of us could have come up with those slogans. Uh, but their mission statement is, is it's not great either. So proudly displayed at the top of the report. Their mission statement is constantly creating, forever captivating, making life more colourful. That sounds like the slogan you would get on a piece of Chinese technology you bought cheap on eBay. Yep. Do you remember you yeah. used to buy motherboards from these companies, didn't you? And and yeah, the slightly mangled English on the outside, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Game forever, love, live, that sort of stuff just written on the side. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, couldn't Sega just have a mission statement like, make awesome games? I mean, that that's all we want from them. So why can't they just make that their mission? Anyway, I've yeah. read it so you don't have to. So <laughs> in, in their three-year core strategy, it mentions um, IPs like Sonic, but Sonic, to me, is, yeah, it's retro, but it's a current IP. It's just a, an IP that has a rich history. It's not it's not one that's really being rejuvenated. I mean, they're making movies about him, for going to say, right now. I think there's a sequel to the Sonic movie in, in the works now as well. So very much a current IT, uh, IP. But in the five-year strategy that they lay out, um, there is the line specifically to utilize past IPs. There's also the very generic line, which might appeal to you, Chris, which is, Develop new first-person shooter game at Europe-based studios. <laughs> there you go. I know you like your well, FPSs. You know, you yeah. don't need to be any more specific than that. We'll just knock up a killer FPS. That's what we'll do. With Sonic. Um, I was with, thinking. I was going to say, Sonic. yeah. What sort of IPs <laughs> lend themselves well to a an FPS from Sega? I'm sure there's plenty there, but um, not really the classic retro ones. No. I want to see a Sonic FPS now. I can't get that out of my head. That would be... <laughs> I'm sure that there must be a Doom or a Wolfenstein patch out there that turns it into Sonic. I'm, I'm sure probably, there is. Yeah. 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 And then as we dive deeper into the document, we can see um, the Total War series gets a mention. Virtua Fighter, Aladdin, Fantasy Star, all classics, but also mostly current, to be honest. We still hear of them. Virtua Fighter... Um, the last one was Virtua Fighter 5, came out in 2021. I think that was in the arcade and on the PlayStation. 
I don't know where I'd go if I wanted to see Virtua Fighter 5 on an arcade in the modern day. don't know where no. I'd go. Um, I'd like to see it. I remember the first time I saw Virtua Fighter on an arcade, and it was it was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, Total War, that, that franchise, the latest one was Total War Warhammer 3. That came out as recently as January this year, so still very much current. Aladdin, that's a tricky one. Um, I think in 2000, the PlayStation got an Aladdin-themed game. Um, and then the classic one, which I know, the, the, the one which Virgin published over here, that was really re-released in 2019 in a pack called Disney Classic Games. So they're still kind of milking that one. Um, and why not? It's a great game. Beautifully animated game. Um, and Fantasy Star, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis came out in 2021. So again, still very much using those franchises here and now. So no clue yet as to any long forgotten IPs being dug up. And I say, to be honest, I think Sega have re-released the classics many times over on many platforms, but maybe there's something people are crying out for that I haven't thought of. So um, let's start with you, Dave. Dave, if you could revive a Sega game or an IP that would scratch an itch for you, what, what, what would you go for? Well, the one I like that they're doing at the moment is Warhammer 40k, and that seems to be the last surviving British RPG from the 80s that still gets any attention. So mm. I'd kind of like if they did something more with that. Maybe there's room for an FPS with that. I don't know that anyone's done an FPS with it. Um, so maybe there's room for that. But if we're going to revive uh, an IP, then it's Golden Axe. Um, I love Golden Axe. It's one of my favorite coin ops. It packs a lot of the, the RPG fantasy, Conan the Barbarian type stuff into an arcade game. Um, I'm still hopeful we see Golden Axe 2, sorry, not Golden Axe 2, Gold, the console's got Golden Axe 2. What should have been Golden Axe 2 was Revenge of Death Adder, hmm. um, which was the which was one that came out a few years later, maybe three or four years later after the original Golden Axe in the arcades, and I think it was a great game. Um, it's just Golden Axe but more. Um, great pixel art. So that's the IP I'd want Sega to bring back. Um, is there a market for a really well done brawler like that? Well, I, I think so. Streets of Rage 4 came out, I think, not last year, the year before it came mm -hmm. out. Although it is Sega too, uh, so they've got experience in making it. But they went for cartoon style graphics in that, which I really didn't like at all. I, I prefer them to go for the, the pixel art. Uh, graphics difficult isn't it because that's the kind of thing that caused upset with the new monkey island some people going it should be retro it should be pixely but you know who are you trying to appeal to i think you can still use modern style graphics and have that retro thread and the callback to the original series in a modern game man yeah. where do you where do you find the balance i don't know yeah it's not a game breaker for me it's not it's not a, it's not a deal breaker it's not um if they did the cartoon graphics i would still play it i'm sure um but um yeah. yeah, yeah, and in terms of an yeah. FPS based on Warhammer, we did have going way back the Space Hulk series, which was kind of a FPS dungeon crawlery. Mm. I mean, there were a few based on Space Hulk, weren't they? Not specifically a Sega IP, but maybe that's something they could get on board with and and rejuvenate. Yeah, sorry, Chris, you were you were trying to say something that I spoke over you. Yeah, no, it's completely gone. Um, I do agree on the Warhammer thing. Now I was thinking about that as well. Warhammer forty k would make a great FPS, um, and it, it's it's great that that survived as well. My boys are now into playing Warhammer and painting up all the figures and stuff. And I can't believe that something I did as a teenager, they're now doing in their early twenties as well. All these years later, it's fantastic, fantastic nice. to see. So yeah. Well, if I was going to pick some Sega IPs to rejuvenate. Um, I would go with Outrun, which I know has got multiple sequels and versions of it. I just love the game so much. But I think maybe if they tried to do like a real pixel art style throwback to the original Outrun with synthwave remixes of the original music, maybe a, a first person or a chase view, but still retaining that nice pixely look, maybe with VR. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe add that option, which everyone said should always exist, which was choose your driver. You could be the blonde driving with the guy in the passenger seat, or you could be the guy driving with the, you know, all of this stuff to really, really embrace the original. I'd love to see yeah. that, which which goes against what I was just saying with um, what Dave said with um, Streets of Rage and why not why not go for a more modern style? But I guess, you know, these are your options, aren't they? You can go for a modern style with callbacks to the original, or you can go full pixel art and really try and embrace that original feel. I don't know. I don't know. It takes a lot of skill to get that art direction right i think um another game people talk about an awful lot is comics zone 
that's a, a game that gets a lot of praise because it's got such a unique comic book style where you're it's a, it's a brawler where you kind of fight your way through the cells on the page of a comic book a lot of people will know of this game um it was um it was released on ios and android in 2017 as part of the sega forever collection which received very mixed reviews due to the quality of some of the ports on it uh, but i still think they could do a remake or a remaster or just a new game in the series for tablets specifically i think that whole comic book style on a tablet would work really well maybe don't know um and i would suggest rejuvenating sega rally because i spent so much time in the arcades on that but i don't know if you've seen there's a guy on twitter called um at overjump rally and he's recreating the whole original sega rally using the unreal 5 engine and it looks phenomenal it just absolutely incredible so go and check that out if you haven't seen it and sega if you're listening sega because i know you listen to our show every week get in touch with that guy um get him on board and just release that that would be an instant smash hit yeah uh chris how about you any requests from sega oh i've got a sneaking suspicion dave's got something to say though oh well, go ahead you see you see that sega listened to our show jokingly but um they might do because mm. we know that someone one producer does listen to our show as we saw in the comments who was that was that was that microprose yeah microprose will watch our show. that yeah. But that was the show you were on and I wasn't, Dave. So maybe they only listen when you're on. <laughs> they only listen Sorry, to Sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, though. That is a good point. Um, well, for me, uh, the, I think the Outrun idea is great, but this draws into what you said about do you go pixel art or do you go modern? If they'd stuck to going retro style, we wouldn't have got a game like Outrun 2 or Outrun Coast to Coast. It's also known Outrun 2016, whatever you want to call it. That was a fantastic game. And much as I love the original, dare i say it was better and it does also allow you to drive from within the cockpit what do you think neil yeah yeah i mean i love those outrun games and i always want to see mm. these series and these franchises progress on modern hardware uh but i think there's room for both why not yeah. why not have yeah. uh, you know a new sequel and a retro version or even have have the new one with the retro one buried in there as a bonus you know wow. i think they can do both that makes me think, well, two two examples of that. So you've got Shadow of the Beast, so the PS4 remake. Well, not remake, it's a completely new game, um, but buried in there is the Amiga original. Um, nice. And also you've got Gods. So the PS4 version of Gods, you can either play it with updated graphics or you can toggle the switch and it goes straight back to the original graphics because the maps are exactly the same. So you can even pull tricks like that. Yeah. Without in terms the original of games, music, though. Sorry, without the original music. Yes, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, IP comes into IP sneaks through everything. So talk about Outrun. Do they still have the Ferrari, the the Ferrari license? Those kind of messy IP questions come up as well. So it's not as simple as we'd like to think it would be. But in terms of games, I'd like to see them revisit. Well, what about things like Afterburner or G Lock or just one game that encompasses both? That would make a nice VR game. So I'm not thinking. Oh, another one would be Thunderblade. So similar premise. So instead of going, you know, all out flight sim, as is, you know, the, the trend these days with things like DCS and stuff like that, have something for people that don't want to become a professional fighter pilot and still have fun online. So you just simplify mm. the controls, you know, similar to what it was in the arcade. You just need to know how to go up, down, left, right, and fire your guns and fire your missiles and throw in some multiplayer action. That would be fantastic. I guess that is served yeah. to a degree with that flight sim that you like to play in VR on your PS4. What was that one called again? I forget the series. Oh, uh, Ace Combat? Ace Combat, that's the yeah. one. Yeah, that's I haven't played of... that one, actually. I need to play Ace Combat. But oh, yeah. I thought, you, I thought yeah. you played that one in VR. I no, played that I one in Expo in VR. VR. It was it was like Call of Duty in a cockpit, and that's fine. That you yeah. know that caters to the to the afterburner style arcade gamer for sure. Um, Thunderblade uh, makes me laugh that you mentioned that because I used to see Thunderblade in the arcade. It was one of the more expensive games to play, so I didn't play on it very yeah. much. But the cockpit that you sat in and the movement of it was very much manual. You know, you move the stick and it cranks the the seat around. <laughs> so I would just get in it as a kid and just sort of crank the stick around, and you know not even play the game just to <laughs> just yeah, pretend yeah. i was flying a helicopter um yeah that was that was a cheap arcade didn't have to put any money in that um and it was a pretty <laughs> awful arcade with some awful ports so i would love yeah. to see a good remake of thunderblade i guess it would be kind of like comanche in, in a in a in yeah. a city i guess yeah mm, yeah um could be could be good fun but yeah um 
I'll be honest, having read through this report, I don't think we're going to see much difference in the behavior of Sega in leveraging old IPs. We've seen what they've been doing year after year. They are already doing it, I think. Um, so I think there are a lot of platitudes in this report, to be honest. Um, it looks nice to have in a financial report. There's a lot of people dressed in suits and ties looking very businesslike. There's a lot of, you know, stock photos, as I mentioned. Uh, have a read, see what you think. But I am hoping to be pleasantly surprised and, and maybe we'll see a serious investment in new versions of some long forgotten IPs and not shovel ports. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Let's see what Sega come up with. Okay, guys, um, back in episode 65, which actually, oddly enough, was the very episode when Dave first joined us when we when we did a, an episode with the three of us. So there we go. It's a nice bookend. But I mentioned in that episode that there was a search on for an Atari 2600 games developer. And the game was AcroVenture. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember that discussion? I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I've never seen of... you before in my life. Uh, it was like a single, <laughs> single screen game wasn't it um yeah and just describe uh, well, the game again down. for us yeah so it was like a you dived into some water you had to go further and further down and bring something back yeah. up to the surface i forget what there was a mermaid at the top the memorable, mermaid stuck in my memory game. i don't know memorable <laughs> game anyway they're on the lookout for the developer um well a game developer has been found it's a different developer for a completely different game. But anyway, I just thought I'd fish you in there for a moment. Yeah. Um, so there was apparently another hunt on for another games developer, and this one has been found. So this is according to a story on gamedeveloper.com by Brian Francis. Uh, there's been a year-long hunt by the Video Game History Foundation to find out who developed the Atari 2600 game Wabbit. And yes, that is pronounced with a W, guys, Wabbit. Okay, so Elmer Fudd impressions, get them out of the way, yes. <laughs> so the game was developed at Apollo, uh, and efforts to identify the developer were hampered by basically colleagues misremembering the person's name. I think they had one of the, her nicknames in mind. But eventually, Van May, who was a refugee from the Vietnam War, was identified and found. Uh, according to the story, the search was aided mostly, and this is quite interesting, so mostly by the fact that former employees had to take Apollo to court to secure their final paychecks when the company was going under. So it was actually the court records that were instrumental in digging out developer names and then joining the dots and finding Van May. I don't want to steal too much of the story because that's not fair. I'd rather people click through the links and go and read it for themselves. It's well worth a look. But the game itself is, is quite interesting. It was, or at least it is being touted as, the first console game, so specifically console, to have a female protagonist. This female protagonist goes around shooting rabbits to protect her carrots, well, possibly shooting or maybe throwing stones. It's actually not. It's an Atari 2600 game. There's limited graphics. I can't tell if she's holding a gun or not. Um, so what I'll go by is the fact that the rabbits actually, they don't die. They they happily hop off and, and go away. So maybe she's just throwing rocks at them. Um, but basically, Van May, uh, also she employed a, a quite a clever trick to add more colors and animation to the main character that, than you'd usually see on the 2600 by basically using two player sprites as one so she's composited one sprite over the over the second to give her more colors and a bit of walking animation and this was back in 1982 so first and foremost have you guys played wabbits at all um no and this is the first time i'm looking at it i've just brought it up on the screen while we're talking and that is the first thing that stood out to me was that player character i mm. thought you know, that looks a bit more like an 8-bit micro kind of a sprite than it does an Atari 2600. The rest it of the does. game looks very Atari 2600, but the, the main character stands out. Um, just to describe the game, you've got the character at the bottom of the screen, as you say, shooting something up the screen. You've got, um, I don't know, lots of rectangles up the screen. Uh, it looks like a pyramid with rabbits running <laughs> left and right, trying to eat the carrots. I guess that's the allotment, isn't it? That's what that is. It's and forced then either perspective, side... Neil. Forced perspective. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That's the allotment. And then either side of that are some holes that look very much like the kind of holes you have in, in Pitfall. Um, mm. So I guess that's the rabbit holes that they that they come out of. Simple gameplay, um, but, you know, it's an Atari 2600 game. I'm sure you'll get a good 10 minutes of fun out of that and, <laughs> and move on to the next thing. I'm, I'm not offended by it. So, um, yeah, I, I should give it a go at some point. Am yeah. I the only person that can get more than 10 minutes out of an Atari 2600 game these days? I think I am, aren't I? I'll sit there for ages. Oh, this is great okay. fun. It's, it's better than Neighbours. We'll give it that. 
Oh, it's definitely better than Neighbours. Uh, I had a quick play. Obviously, again, the Tari flashback is on the SD card, so double-checked, had a look. Had a quick play, and it is fun, addictive, simple gameplay. I did kind of figure out that you could just stay in the middle and keep pressing fire and actually do quite well just doing that, not even moving left and right. But anyway, that aside, um, it's, it's it looks nice. As you said, it looks quite nice and colourful the tw- for the 2600, the main character sprite, but also there's a, is it a house up in the top left um, that looks quite colourful as well. So, yeah, I think she did a good job. And, of course, this is a, a female protagonist, from a female developer in what appeared to be, you know, from what we understand of the period, quite a male-dominated industry. Um, so, you know, I don't know what other female female lead games developers we can think of from that period. It's quite an interesting topic to think about. Well, the um, the most uh, famous one would be um, the developer of River Raid. And ah. um, I say the most famous one. Her name has avoided is is evading me right now. Um, bear with me to the internet. Bear with me, yeah. What do you think, um, Dave? Ca- while Carol Neil's Shaw. googling, Carol oh, Shaw. Okay. There you go. River Raid was developed by Carol Shaw, very famous developer for perhaps the greatest game ever made on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Uh, but the protagonist was a jet fighter, so not not a female uh, lead character in there. You got the double whammy in Wabbits. So I played it. I played it on the Mister uh, the other day for the very first time, and likely for the last time. <laughs> um, it's not my time of game. It, it does have a bit of charm to it. You're right, though. It does have a bit of charm. The sprites on it, just a little bit of character to them. But it is a fairly simple game. It's a single shot shooter where if you don't time your shot right, you have to wait until it's off the screen before you fire again. So I think I'll stick with 1942, which is just a, a little bit more complex, but it's on my level before you go to the bullet hell shooters. Is there a version so of I'm... 1942 on the 2600 or not? No, no absolutely no, not. No. So <laughs> River, probably River Raid then is the next closest thing for you. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I have to crank that up on the on the flashback. Cool. So thanks, Starcade2084, for sharing this story with us uh, in the subreddit. Ban May's story really is an interesting one and brings a spotlight onto yet another really nice example of what the 2600 could do in the right hands, even though I'm the only one of us three that enjoyed playing it for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> Back in the day, it would have been fantastic. So I encourage you to both check out the story, but also do check out the game itself for some classic fun. I love Doom, but really. Um, Hans Landat 007, which is a strange username, as you wouldn't expect a WW2 German field officer to also have 00 status with MI6, <laughs> um, has noticed an auction for Doom finishing over £1,000, which is roughly US dollars if you're in the colonies, or 1,800 Australian dollary dues. So on the surface, this looks like just another sky-high retro purchase. Uh, In the comments, Clem Fandango says these prices aren't sustainable, but Denith says that it's just supply and demand. And I think in broad terms, I think Denith is right. Uh, But there's a catch, and I'll come to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, As most of you... No, uh, I'm sure you know, the first release of Doom was a shareware title. Um, Shareware just meant that you got the full game engine, or usually got the full game engine, with maybe one or three episodes. Um, And you had to register to get the rest by, usually mail order, or later just an unlock code. So you already had the game there, you needed a key to unlock it. Uh, So it was sort of a super demo. And what that meant was that Doom got everywhere. Uh, magazines gave it away you could pick up for buttons and hardware shops etc and you could distribute the shareware version freely that's what they wanted they wanted everybody to have a copy of the shareware version so they would buy the rest i've read that 15 to 20 million people played doom in the first two years of its release so from 1993 for the first two years uh between 15 to 20 million people played it which isn't a lot now but back then it's huge it must have been everybody. I mean, who didn't play Doom back then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1995, it got its first typical big box release in shop. So before that, it didn't. And that was even after Doom 2 had come out. So they come out with uh, Ultimate Doom. Um, oh, he's got oh, a price. consumed. He's got, oh, he's um, got it. 
They, they came out with this one in 1995. It's it's fairly common. It's it's not too difficult to get this one. It's a wee bit expensive, but it's not too difficult to get it. But this is two years after Doom came out, and this is the kind of the retail version. Whereas before that, it was always free shareware, and then uh, you had to register it. Yeah. Um, Just describe that I, box, Dave, for our for our audio only listeners. So this is a standard uh, big box PC one. Uh, there's a, a picture of. Uh, it looks a bit like Neil in the front there, uh, with his teeth showing. Um, he's had a shave, though. Um, teeth are showing. It says, the ultimate doom, thy flesh consumed. Uh, and inside are uh, just your usual discs. It's um, kind of like a demon version of... Um, who was the bad guy in Dan Dare that floated around on a flying saucer? The Mekon. Oh, the Mekon. It's like, yeah. a, like a hellish Mekon on the front of the cover. There you go, audio listeners. I'm sure that doesn't yeah. help very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all red. It's all just red and black, apart from the logo. Um, so yeah, so I did a bit of investigating, and there's more to this than meets the eye. Um, it's a, a charity auctioning off these games. So it's um, what charity shops do now. Uh, people aren't aware is that charity shops, if they get anything they think is of, of real value, they'll stick it on eBay, not just uh, sell it in the shop. Mm. So it's a charity auction, but it's but the image that Hans has submitted is actually the second time they, they sold it. The first time it went for an even £1,000, but it was relisted, so presumably non-payment. Mm -hmm. And then this time, the one that Hans Lander showed us went for just over the £1,000 mark, but it was relisted again. So presumably non-payment a second time. And it finished at 3 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon for a measly 1000 Sorry, a measly 1000 A measly <laughs> £100. So what do you think, Neil? Is Doom worth 100 Is it worth 1000 Were those real bids? Did someone get a bargain for £100? Hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, and I see a lot of these charity shop auctions come up on eBay. Uh, the one I see a lot is from the Hart Foundation. They list a lot. And, I, and I've bought bargain mm. um, big box games from them in the past. So um, they are, they're doing us a service as well as those that they support, which I'm very much on board with. Um, did they list it at £1,000 or did it work no, its it way No, it was an auction. It so was an, an auction, an auction with several bids. All three listings were started off as auctions. I, I don't know the start price. I'm fairly sure it was low. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was it was bidding that took it up each time. It's always hard to know. And I know you've got a lot of experience on the eBay front, Dave. Uh, you know, um, all the tech tips and techniques. Uh, so it's hard to know. I mean, I recently bid on something on eBay and I saw a higher bid go in so i put my bid in a higher bid went in and then that bid was quite quickly retracted and i always think is that the seller feeling me out to see where my top bid sits try and inflate it and then pull back so they know where they might want to push it up at the last minute to get the most for their money or is it another buyer feeling me out i don't know and when that happened i just retracted my own bid on that one um i, I wasn't too bothered and i didn't want to get caught up in that I tend to put item put bids in on items that I can take or leave with like a week to go. I, you know, I don't really care if I win it or not, but it would be a nice to have kind of thing. But if it's something that I really want, then I'll I'll go more for the sniping method and put in that very last minute bid. Or sometimes there are tools you can use to help you with that. Um, have you got any other tips or tricks for us, Dave? Or, or is sniping the best way? I, I, sniping is the best way. Um, eBay. Um... It doesn't matter what happens until the last second of the auction. So mm. if you bid early, all you do is let other people know. Uh, I use a, a tool called Gixen, uh, G-I-X-E-N, and it puts my bid in with about six seconds left to go. Mm. And mm. I win auctions because it might be sitting at five or six pounds and someone says, well, I'll pay 20 for that. It won't go above 20 if it's sitting at five or six, and I'll come in with 25 pounds and outbid them and win. And yeah. I'm, I'll only bid what I'm happy to win. But yeah, that's what I use there. Other than that, um, my, my best tips for eBay are to look at the auction and to give yourself an idea of how it will finish. If it's listed to finish at 8 p.m. on a Sunday, it's probably going to go for a high price. That mm -hmm. seems to be the best time to finish your auctions uh, mm -hmm. on a Sunday evening when people have got time to, to, to get away from the family to go in the computer at the last minute and bid. If it's going to finish at, um, at 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, then you've got a good chance of getting a bargain. Mm. Top tips from Dave. Um, and mm. a line that I constantly hear from you, Dave, is, I'm not buying any more games. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yes. are, are we truly there yet, or are you still bidding on things? 
No, I, I have stopped buying games. I, I really am. I, I'm, I'm going to buy another one later on today, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I have I have almost completely stopped. Uh, there's a few things that I've got on, on, on my watch list. But what I started buying instead, I seem to have transitioned from one to the other, is buying books. So now I'm buying oh, okay. hardback books. Um, <laughs> but I've stopped buying them more or less as well. I've got a few that I want to buy, and, and that's it. Uh, I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to spend a fortune in hardback books. I've got my electronic ink e-reader. It's the best way to read a book apart from a hardback. So unless I can find a hardback at a nice price, I'll stick with that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, getting back onto Doom, um, I do have. Uh, several versions of doom um i had a couple of copies of doom 2 one of which i've got in my shop i think the other was an empty box which i sent over to you um dave oh you've got it there with you have you there you go yes so i have thank you very much neil that's all right so we um, have dave. i was able to get the the discs reprinted so they're not the original discs but i've got replicas in there yeah uh, it's good enough for me and that's the, the one that you kindly sent me in fantastic condition excellent so thank you very much for that my pleasure and i've got um i've got a copy of doom doom the original doom as, uh, as far as i'm aware and and duncan can pop some pictures up on the screen of, of my copy here as far as i'm aware this isn't a super rare copy um for audio for audio listeners this is a fairly slim box it's not a big big box game it's got the very recognizable doom art on the cover uh it's got the three episodes listed on the back now i believe if you can find this boxed version with the cd rom in it that's a very rare version and i remember john romero himself tweeting about how delighted he was when he got hold of that cd-rom version my version here is neither the cd or the floppy disk version because it's missing the media it's no. just the box so <laughs> i need to reunite this box with the discs or i'll do as dave did um for completeness to uh to print some new labels obviously i'll put something on there to say that it's a replica copy the game on there and then um, that's as good as complete for me i'd be happy with that um so that's my version of doom i do remember the shareware version of doom and i remember it being sold in dixon's on the high street which was unusual because they would normally avoid that kind of thing but it was so popular and so in demand that they put it up there um it was hung up on a peg as i recall like a, a cheap plastic case with a single disc in it and i did buy, buy that back in the day and dave you you explained shareware just a moment ago as kind of a super demo now, to expand on that, um, I very rarely get into sequels of games. I tend to play a new game to death and then to, to go into a sequel, unless it's a really good exception to the rule, I tend to go, right, I want to go and try something else. I don't want more of the same. And sometimes shareware, it gives you so much, it risks you going, I've played enough of this. I've got enough content out of this. I've got a whole episode out of this. I don't actually need to go and buy the full game. But with doom people clearly wanted more and more and you got a lot in that first episode what how many levels did you get out of the first ten. um episode it was 10 episodes 10 levels was it 10 levels yeah yeah, yeah. there was a lot of yeah. content and you know it took you a while to get to the end of that so you, you did get a lot of game for your money and um the shareware model worked perfectly for that game it really did yeah it, it it was immensely popular but you're right about the the shareware things when we're talking about first person shooters when chris listed off i think it was three or four games he said he played in his life couple, uh, when he listed all, all four of those off um <laughs> a lot of those i i i played the shareware i played i played yeah. possibly a demo instead of shareware which maybe they, they started cutting down the shareware versions of demos but that was enough for me i wanted to see what the game looked like and beyond that eh, i was often enough for it so um yeah shareware was um shareware was a model that i wonder if some games people saw thought that's enough i don't i don't need mm. to buy this uh, worms was one like that worms the demo for worms was enough for me i played that and you can play that two player that was plenty beyond that not much not really much point in buying the game um, yeah but... hunter was a, a demo that i played to death the, uh, the 3d game on the amiga played that loads um a battlefield 1942 i've mentioned in the past that was a fully online multiplayer demo of wake island which was probably one of the best levels on the original game just played that over and over again because every every time you played it, it was slightly different because it was an online demo so that was always fun but in terms of the price um i don't know i don't really have a yardstick to say whether a thousand pounds is a good price or, or not um dave for doom have you have you looked into this have you done any more research on what it's sold for yeah well that that's the funny thing this wasn't the registered version so this wasn't the registered version was rare because it meant someone actually paid money for it 
and didn't just pirate it. So this wasn't the register version. I mentioned it's a shareware's game, and this was just set just a set of shareware discs, albeit in a nice box. Um, shareware versions of Doom were really common, as we said, because they were cheap. There were loads of them about. You could anyone could distribute them. So they tend to sell for the hundred pound mark or less. What is actually super rare and what would get the thousand pounds is a registered Doom in the box. So I think claims may be vindicated here. Now, Chris, we know you're an FPS aficionado. Uh, would you buy Registered Doom with all your American... American? Where did American come in there? <laughs> Australian dollary dues. Would you buy it? No. Short answer. Um, <laughs> but actually, I hope the exchange rate stays where it is at 1.8, according to your pricing. So that's fantastic for when I visit later in the year, if it hovers around that. Um, no, I, I don't think I would. I mean, I, yeah, I have fond memories of Doom, but as we've just discussed... I was one of those that predominantly played the shareware levels and that's all I played. And then I would challenge myself, okay, can I get through these 10 levels on the hardest setting? Can I get through the 10 levels on the hardest setting without losing a single life? That kind of thing. Um, and just, you know, making it harder and harder for myself to get the most of out of those simple 10 levels. And then the, the, when I finally played the full version, it was on the Atari Jaguar. It wasn't even on the PC. So I have no nostalgia attached to it. So would I do it if I thought it was an investment? No, probably not even then because that's not why I'm in the hobby either. So no, no, I wouldn't. And the other reason I wouldn't is because I think it cost me around $5 on the PS4 to play. Okay, it's not exactly the original. It's better than the original. There's slightly higher definition graphics. It's got the same um, sound and music as if I was, I think, if is it the Roland MT32? Uh, is the version that's emulated for the PS4 version? Yeah, okay. So I'm getting a better experience than I would have done on my PC back in the day anyway for about five bucks. So no, just for a bucks on the shelf, it's not for me. Sorry. What about this one then? This is, have you played Sigil? This Sigil is the, no. the kind of John Romero came back to the original 1993 Doom and then made his own uh, award pack. Award pack is... Um, I'm sure you know. Everybody knows is it, it's a it's a, a kind of homemade pack of all the details you need for the demo. So that's a hmm. a signed copy of that that I have. Um, wow. of, of Sigil. Um, yeah. Um, I hope his nice. signature puts the value up rather than down. Although I won't sell it, so it doesn't really matter. Um, you mean there's a mark? I, on I the know. Box, <laughs> Do you want me to clean that for you? I could clean yeah, it off could, and iron it. Shrink wrap it. Get that cleaned off. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a lovely box as well. It's uh, slightly raised where where it is. It's uh, some kind of uh, goat demon. Um, anyway, I I know people get up, upset at high prices for retro, uh, and as a collector, I I personally wish it was all cheap and easy to get hold of, and I could just pick it all up for buttons. But I do understand that the fact is that most of us chucked all this stuff away. It went into the loft, to the garage, and then a few years later, it went to the dump. Oh my poor Ultimas, or we sold it for buttons. Oh, my poor Ultimas. Shocking. And now we want it back again, and it costs us a fortune because there's hardly any around and lots of demand, unless we can do some game box reproductions. Unless we can do that. Watch this space, maybe. Watch this space. I'm excited about that. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to see if we can do that because uh, I. I I'm not that bothered if mine original on the shelf. It's the experience I want rather than the um, the value from having an original tatty one, a nice one. True. But anyway, that's Doom for you. That's Doom. And there is uh, an army of Nintendo 64 and Super Mario collectors who are looking down on this going, a thousand pounds, that's nothing. <laughs> with their so million true. dollar copy of Mario 64. Earth, Earth, is it Earthbound it was called? Was, yeah, that's one that... a very collectible one, yeah. Or Mother, yeah. as it's known in Japan, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, on the scale of things, Doom for a £1,000 is, is you know, not a huge amount for some super collectors. But for you and I, yeah, that's a lot. I don't I don't think I could bring myself to spend £1,000. Let's just do a quick round robin. Could you spend £1,000 on any game? No, Chris? no. No, Dave, no. No. No, me neither. Me neither. Um, and I think there's still a lot of excitement to be had in finding um rare games for you know a good price unexpected games or more often than not just the games that we used to have whether anyone else wants them or not it's just nice mm. to recollect those old ones even if they were bad games even if they're not super signed special editions there's still a lot of fun to be had in collecting retro games so um 
yeah, it'll be a long time before I need to ever consider, I think, spending a thousand pounds on a game. But um, well done, I guess, to whoever got this Doom for a hundred dollars or a hundred pounds. I hope they enjoy it. On now to our community question of the week. And last week it was all about Ocean Software and the uh, the, the, the sad death of um, it's David Ward, wasn't it? Co-founder of Ocean Games. So we were asking all about your memories. Do you have oceans of memories for Ocean Games? What were your favourite? Which systems did you play them on? And were they the exception to the rule that any game based off of a movie is terrible? Did Ocean manage to crack that particular nut for you? Was your system Ocean branded by way of packing titles? Anything and everything to do with ocean memories, let us know. So we'll head over to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you can submit stories for future shows for us to consider and talk about, and you can participate in this conversation. And uh, let's start with Dave. Let's. Uh, what was the top answer that we've got from last week's question? So the top answer from last week's question is from Protech438. And he says, the first thing that comes to mind from Ocean is the legendary Ocean Loader by Martin Galway. Sticking an Ocean tape into the Commodore 1530, which I am fairly sure is the, the tape deck for it, uh, and the title image of the game slowly loading while the SID music starts to pour out the first chords of the loader, although if it's a Commodore 64, it could also be slowly loading from the disk drive. Yeah, this is a, an experience that Chris is going to start to enjoy with his new Commodore mm. 64. And I can't believe we had a conversation about Ocean last week and didn't mention the Ocean loaders. It was such a big thing. Um, I blame Chris. He's the Commodore 64 owner. <laughs> <laughs> only, only now. <laughs> yeah, yeah good I, point. I have experienced my first loader already just in the four games that I've got, which is, yeah, it's, it's a completely different experience to what we were used to on the Spectrum. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure I didn't have it either. Um, Protech continues by saying, I learned only at a later age that there were multiple versions of the Ocean Loader themes, but the definitive one for me is the Ocean Loader 2. Speaking of Ocean titles, Rambo, First Blood Part 2 is the one that I first associate to Ocean. I have fond memories of playing that game. Some of the licensed titles were pretty awful and kind of lost opportunities like the Knight Rider and the Transformers. There are gems among them, though, as well as original titles like Hunchback, which I still love to fire up from time to time. I didn't have an Ocean bundled game system back in the day, but I did have one of the numerous Ocean collections. I have the book of Ocean, the history of arguably the arguably biggest software houses of the 80s, was interesting and entertaining reading, and I really felt sad about Ocean's demise as a result of acquisitions and being merged into other companies. Thank you very much, Protech. Hunchback got a mention there as an original game. I think it was an arcade game originally, so that would have been a licensed one. Um, but it got, a, yeah, lot, that's, got um, a lot of play on my Amstrad. Yeah, yeah. Hunchback mm. was um, Hunchback was a, a British arcade game, which I think is, is fairly uncommon, and they, that's how they got the license for it. I listened to um, a, a podcast episode from... Um, they created worlds who uh, I subscribe to for the Ultima content, but they actually do a lot of other things. And they did one, I think, in, in April, um, just before he passed away, not knowing he was going to pass away at quite time. They did one on Ocean, and it's really informative talking about how David Ward was um, trading clothes, clothes from Morocco and getting arrested by Spanish police before he got into that. So it's really informative. But yeah, Hunchback was. Um, I think the, the first time they got a, an arcade license. Nice. Nice. Good knowledge. Um, the next, uh, I'll, I'll read out the next one on the subreddit here, which comes from Headers D. says, well, I never had an Amiga or an ST, so my experience of Ocean back in the days was limited to my 48K Specky. On that, I'd say they had some stellar games. Chase HQ, which is considered by many to be one of the best, if not the best games uh, on the Specky. Uh, Rainbow Islands, Midnight Resistance, Cobra, Taipei, and Operation Wolf come to mind in particular. Come to think of it, I think I had more games for my Specky from Ocean than from any other publisher. Um, uh, someone replies to that, uh, Marquis Pierre replies saying, most of that list were Taito games, to be uh, fair. Well, yeah, Ocean were the publisher, but you know, yeah. this is why they did so well with their licensing and the deals and the, the wheeling and dealing they did to get the, the recognizable titles that people wanted, whether that be 
arcade ports or uh, movie tie-in licenses or Frankie Goes to Hollywood or whatever. You know, they were one of the first to really see the value in that kind of um, that kind of deal. So um, yeah, and uh, Headers D replies saying, "Yep, having a cracking arcade game to start with is is a pretty good basis for a good conversion," which is a fair mm-hmm. comment. So. Nice. And at least yeah. they did their conversions well, unlike certain other people like US Gold. Well, there were exceptions, yeah. but yeah, they did a lot of good ones. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. that that podcast I listened to talked about it, and uh, they they briefly said that um, they had problems with farming it out to people when they, they took on subcontractors to make the games because they would they wouldn't bother. Uh, they wouldn't. They would just say there you go or not get it finished. That's why they did a lot of things in house. So um, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think that they didn't care. I think that they, they were trying their best, but, um, well, it is what it is, software development. Yeah, true. Right, so the final answer this week is from Kez Monkey, who says, I was a huge fan of Ocean and their games back in the day, even the not-so-great ones. The licensed games and coin-up conversions were a particular interest to me. Um, uh, my favourite was The Adams Family on the Snares. It's also my favourite platformer of all time. I played it on the Amiga first via a cover disc demo and immediately uh, and it immediately clicked with me. I loved and still do the art style, the music, the gameplay, the level design and the secrets and I still play it occasionally. And like others here, I too love the Ocean Loader tunes. I really did miss out on this Loader tune business, didn't I? <laughs> Fire up YouTube, you can easily find them and have a good listen to the Ocean Loader tunes. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah the Adams family was a particular favorite of our fourth presenter who is still here in spirit john uh, and uh he, he always raved about how much he loved the adams family and i've seen him stream it as well before in the past where i think he can you know he can just quite easily play through from start to finish on that game he knows it inside out so um if it's got john's seal of approval then it's got mine that's that's a good game nice so on then to um our next community question of the week and i think we should probably base it on uh, the, the question of how much you might pay for a video game. Um, what price your soul would you pay a thousand pounds for Doom? In fact, let's make the question, what's the game that you really desire the most and how will it, how high would you be willing to go to buy this game? Hmm. And maybe the three of us next week, we can have a good think and we can come back with an answer to that question, but also um, how far have we gone in the past? How much have we paid can we remember? I might have to look through my eBay history and see. I don't remember any any sort of super, super high price, but I know I've gone higher than I'd like to for some games, and I'm probably going to cringe when I look back through. Mm. So um, let's perhaps all do that. But for you, the listener, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Look for the pinned question of the week and let us know what is the game that you really want? How much would you be willing to pay for it? Thank you, Dave, for joining us for your first of hopefully... Uh, regular um slot on the show i hope so and we look forward to having you on a lot more thank you very much take care everyone thank you for listening and we'll speak to you next week bye-bye thanks guys this week in retro was presented by neil from rnc the cave chris from 005 agema and dave it was produced by me duncan styles podcast version of the show is available to your favorite podcaster including apple podcast and spotify and the video version is available on the this week in retro youtube channel join our community subreddit at r slash this week in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.